When you look out a window, right? I'm, I'm staring out my window and looking out at downtown Boston right now. That generally, that view doesn't change, right? It changes slowly over time. And that view in my mind is like your brand. It is like that overarching message that you're trying to put out there. And it shouldn't change over time. I mean, over time, eventually a building will go up here or go up there, just like a little shift will happen in your brand. But when you're thinking about what to do with your content day to day, there are so many different ways to look at that picture. You can focus on the colors in, in that picture, right? Which could be talking about like the, you know, you can focus on the people that you see, which could be like the people in your organization. You can focus on what did it look like a hundred years ago? What does it look like now? So you can focus on the history of it. You can focus on the shapes and the colors. So the kind of elements of the brand and the values. You can focus on like all the things that are all the squares in the image. Okay, here are all these things that put, I mean, there's just so many different ways to look at the same picture of your brand that in my mind, there really is an almost infinite number of things you can talk about with your product, your product, your brand, or your service, as long as you have clarity on the picture. I'll tell you what, Adam, this is such an interesting episode of Social Pros because our guest, Hampson Webster, really does remind us that, yeah, there's a lot of ways to to skin the cat, but there's also a right way to skin the cat. This is a great episode and a great book. Find Your Red Thread should be required reading for all social pros listener. Jay, I, I agree. You know, we, we oftentimes here on the show talk about the need to to personalize our social messages for our audiences on each respective platform. And, and there you you heard Tamsin kind of speak about that. It's not just about changing the color or putting a different filter on one image or something for a different platform, but truly personalize and customize the message as, as she as she so clearly articulated. Two big wins for Social Pros listeners in this episode. One, you're going to learn how to make your own ideas better. Uh, two, you're going to learn how to pitch your ideas better internally uh, in your own organization. You're going to like this one with Tamson Webster. You're also going to like our sponsors, including our friends at Salesforce, who have the wisdom to employ Mr. Adam Brown. Uh, Salesforce does every year, nearly every year, this giant research project called the State of Marketing. They go out and 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 survey thousands, truly thousands, of marketing leaders across the globe. Uh, last time it was 7,000. I think coming up, it's like 8,500 or some crazy thing. Uh, and, and this research highlights the strategic priorities of all these marketers globally, their challenges, technologies that are transforming their profession, what they care about, what they don't care about. It is required reading, just like Find Your Red Thread. I want you to go to bit.ly slash new marketing report. You can download it. It won't cost you anything. It's our gift to you here on the show. bit.ly slash new marketing report. That's all lowercase. Get your own copy of the State of Marketing Report. Also, the show this week brought to you by our friends at Supermetrics. The thing about metrics in social media is it's not like we're short of numbers. We got too many numbers. Um, there's too many different things that we can measure. And what happens is you've got this big pile of data, but you don't have any idea of what any of it means. So what you got to do is take your actual data points and organize them in a way that makes sense. And that's what Supermetrics uh, allows you to do. It is a slick, slick system. My team and I at Convince and Convert love it. We actually put together a really slick 
custom social pros listeners only template. It's in Google Data Studio, won't cost you anything, um, that you can actually use right now to better align your own social media metrics using Supermetrics. And if you download the template, which won't cost you anything, it also unlocks a 14-day free trial of the Supermetrics software. Check it out, supermetrics.com slash social dash pros. Don't forget that dash, kids. Supermetrics.com slash social dash pros. Here she comes, Tamsin Webster. Social Pros listeners, I am so delighted, truly enthusiastic to have on the show this week uh, my very good friend, Tamson Webster, who is known in the business as the Idea Whisperer. She takes people's clay of concepts and turns it into a sparkling figurine, metaphorically speaking. I have been a professional speaker now for a dozen years or so, uh, and this person has probably done as much as anybody to turn me into a Hall of Fame professional speaker. Uh, Her ability to cut through the noise and create clarity when you're trying to figure out what exactly is it that you're trying to say is truly unprecedented and unparalleled. She has a brand new book called Find Your Red Thread. I want you to write this down. Pause if you must. Find your red thread. The subtitle says it all. How to make your big ideas irresistible. Tamson Webster, welcome to Social Prose. Thanks so much. I am I'm, I'm almost speechless. That, <laughs> but thank you, Jay. I um, I'm really honored by that. Thank you. The book is awesome. Uh, it is full of incredible advice and frameworks that anybody can put into practice to communicate with power and precision and and clarity. It's also, and as somebody who's written a bunch of books, I really like the production of the book, right? It it mm. looks cool. There's a lot of little doodads and gizmos in there. It's just it's just <laughs> really nicely as a book, it's just really nicely done. So congratulations to you and the folks at page two um, for putting it together because it's it's just a nice, it's just a nice product. Um, It's just really well done. So congratulations uh, on that as well. Thank you. I want to start off with with this, just so that people who are listening to Social Pros understand what you mean and how this applies to them. One of the key thrusts of the work and the book is um, you want to build the story that people would tell themselves. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, our, we do this anyway, right? Anytime we're presented with a new piece of information, we read a new blog post, we see a new update, where particularly where someone's offering us an answer, like here's a thing, here's a product, here's a service that you need. Our brains are automatically trying to figure out, do I need that? Why would I need that? Does the explanation make sense? Is there an explanation? And if we do decide we need that, our brain kind of before we even realize it, has created this explanation for, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely why I need this right now. Or, and oftentimes more often, it's an explanation for, I totally don't need that right now. So obviously, we're, when we're in this business of trying to get people to respond to the content, the advertising that we put out there, it's really important to understand that not only this already happens, but B, the power of what can happen if you essentially supply a really strong story to them from the get-go. And that's, that's really what the book is all about. 
And what I love about that and why I was so enthusiastic about having you on the show to talk about the book, Find Your Red Thread, is is that's what social media professionals are doing all the time, right? They're just telling stories about the brand or about the values of the organization, one tweet, one Instagram story, one TikTok dance at a time. And I think it's, it's very easy, especially for complex organizations, to lose the red thread, to lose mm-hmm. the, the tie that binds all of these individual tweets together into a holistic narrative that actually makes sense to the audience. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's something I saw on both sides. Well, actually, all sides. There's a lot of sides to this. Um, I particularly noticed it uh, first when I worked in a brand strategy organization. And we came into organizations to say, what should that big narrative, that big message be that you're trying to put out there? And I also saw that big message break at the point of actually having to create content around it every day. And so my next job, literally my next job after that was working in an advertising agency. I headed up the digital and social projects for all of our clients. And so I was like, well, let me figure it out from the other side. Um, Okay, we've got all this content that we've got to put out. We've got all these updates that we've got to put out. And a lot of times they had created this big message and yet there wasn't a really clear way to how to bridge, like create a bridge between the two. And that's really when I started to fall in love with messaging. Like, how do you create a bridge between that day-to-day content that you've got to put out and that overarching message that you want people to understand? And how do you solve that problem? How do you fill that gap? And um, I, I found that actually the same structure works for both. And it's just a matter of understanding, A, first, okay, what is that overarching story? Because once you understand that, it's a lot easier to figure out, okay, well, which stories do we need to tell to support that rather than just where's another story we can tell? It's what stories, what posts, what questions, what comments, what concepts, what other things can we put out there that all slowly over time build this larger larger narrative, larger message that we're trying to get out there. Is that one of the reasons, Tamsin, that so oftentimes stories will start out with once upon a time. Is, is that one of those <laughs> devices that our brains like it because that, that kind of sets up compartments that, that can be fulfilled? Well, it's so funny that that particular phrase we've come to learn as humans tells us a story is about to happen. So that's 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 useful because we are so wired for story that when we hear something that says once upon a time, we lean in because we want to say, is this going to be something that I'm really interested in? Um, but the what my inspiration for for the red thread was really beyond just the once upon a time stories it really was these brain stories uh that we t- the, these things that our brains put together automatically and you can use some of the devices from once upon a time stories to create these things and it's interesting because the you know the once upon a time really is a context setting thing Um, But the real action of a story starts with what stories typically call the hook, right? There's a moment, there's something that happens when you suddenly realize that somebody wants something that they don't yet have. So one of the examples I love to use is Harry Potter. Generally, most people have seen that at this point. I used to use Star Wars, sadly. It's really disappointing how few people have seen that movie now. Um, But Harry Potter, like I'll explain it saying kind of the once upon a time of Harry Potter is like with the movie, you see a, a wizard walking down the street and he leaves a baby on the doorstep. So you're interested, but you're not invested until you understand that Harry wants a family that is not the one he's currently living with. And that's when you're like, now I want to know. 
not just what's going to happen, but what's going to happen to this person. So, you know, when we're thinking about how do you apply that to whether it's, whether it is an actual once upon a time story or a message that you're putting out to your audience, it's really important. I found just the the go-to always is to say, what question is our audience asking at this moment, either specifically or broadly for which they haven't yet found an answer for themselves? Because if you can present an update, a post, a blog post, a white paper, a video that essentially says, hey, I'm going to give you an answer to this question that you haven't answered yet, their brain goes, that's a hook. I want to see what's going to happen. They lean in. And that automatic, that brain story just starts in their head. It's pretty amazing. And do you have to pay off that aspect of it? I know one of the things in screenwriting that they often talk about is the MacGuffin. Yes. Um, oh, my God. The idea, the MacGuffin, the MacGuffin <laughs> is, a, is a device that keeps the story going forward. But more times than not, I mean, the MacGuffin is like, you know, the idol and Indiana Jones. Um, yeah. it, 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 gets, it moves the story forward. But then, you know, a third of the way through the movie, you forget about it. And it's not even important anymore. And you're off doing something else. Do you have to kind of resolve what that initial idea is or can you use that as a device to move something you know along or is there disappointment if you don't do that so in my experience the 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 macguffin is a murder to a message like you you can do something like that but you also have to pay off that answer to that question or you lose the trust of your audience um and this, this is for anybody who is in sales, marketing, persuasion, whatever. This is this is a perennial question of, well, are you trying to just drive action, or are you actually trying to drive a shift in thinking or behavior that's long term? And can you get someone, you know, bait and switch with like a you know clickbaity headline or whatever? Yes, of course that drives action. We know it does. But does it long-term get you where you're trying to go with either building that message or creating trust or building a relationship with your audience? Absolutely not. Because if you're going to say, hey, I'm going to give you an answer to this question, you need to satisfy that curiosity. The key comes whether in whether or not you can both satisfy their curiosity and create more curiosity at the same time. Can you satisfy it and then say, here's the answer and here's how we do it or here's some aspect of it that is something you haven't heard before, because that's actually what you can do to continue a conversation kind of over time, which is what we need to do when we're doing social media marketing and, and, and content marketing, um, is how do you simultaneously satisfy and create curiosity, but that satisfaction of curiosity is 100% necessary. Yeah. Authenticity comes in that resolution. Yes, Absolutely. Tamson, one of the things I love most in the book is this concept, and, and it's it, it's so incredibly true, but it gets overlooked, and I think it's difficult in social sometimes, this concept that you have to first identify who your idea is for. <laughs> it sounds basic, but yeah, it's totally it sounds really basic. Like identify <laughs> yeah. who the idea is for. It sounds like, well, of course you should do that, but it's really hard to do that sometimes. And we just had a client meeting the other day where uh, it was like, well, we've got these seven key audiences. Can Twitter be for all seven of those audiences? It's like, well, maybe not so much. Um, yeah. And and talk about about that and how you how you dimensionalize that in your head. Yeah. So you're like, okay, here's who I'm talking to when I'm trying to um, explain or or craft this idea. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is a good. This is a good. This is a deep. It's a juicy one, Jay. All right. 
uh, you, you cannot talk to seven audiences simultaneously. You know this, but I think one of the, the best ways to explain this, I'll go back to actually the quote that opens the book, which is from Agatha Christie, who said uh, in the ABC murders, through the words of Hercule Poirot, that words are only the outer clothing of ideas. I love this quote uh, because you know, we have to rely on our words, our posts, uh, you know, our, all of that to, to, to convey these larger ideas about our products and services, our brands. Um, and, if, and, and we can't ever grasp the idea itself. We have to rely on the words in order to give shape, to give form, to, to make them real and concrete for people. And I love this image of, of, kind of, of this kind of invisible person of an idea because it, it makes it clearer why you can't build a message. You can't write a post for seven people simultaneously, just like you couldn't create a piece of clothing that would fit seven people simultaneously. It's like a, it's like a one size fits most t-shirt. Like it'll cover you to, to, you know, but is it going to feel to the person that it's on? Like it's for them? No. So are they going to continually reach for it? Probably not. Contrast that with something that you own that's been that that for whatever reason, like a great pair of shoes that's adapted itself to your feet, right? Like it, they're yours, and they're super comfortable for that. And you go back to those again and again. Um, to me, that's the value in making sure that you've aimed a message to a specific kind of audience person. You know, somebody in that audience or group in the audience. Now, a lot of times, I get the question that that you kind of asked Jay, which was, "What?" Well, yeah, but we actually do have seven audiences. So what are we supposed to do? Um, and that's where, you know, in all the years that I spent managing kind of the, the, the distribution of these messages for and with companies, really, for me, it would take on a matrix uh, in my head and oftentimes on, on paper, digital, otherwise. I'm saying, okay, we either we have to understand kind of what the, which messages are going to which people and over time making, make sure that those particular audiences can get their fair share. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to prioritize a certain audience for a particular span of time and to say, you know what, for the next six months, we're focusing on this group of folks. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're ignoring everybody else, but we really need this group to move forward. So we're going to write for them. But I just, my experience is just that you, you, it is nearly impossible to generate day-to-day -day messages and particularly that broader narrative. Um, if you're trying to talk to everybody simultaneously, it just ends up meaning that your, your language is neutral, it's bland, and you just end up, you know, just like a one size fits most kind of fits none well, same thing happens with your, all your media and your posts. That's why we always talk to people about not replicating their posts word for word across different social networks, right? It's the same idea. It's 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 one size fits most, but we're just going to put the same thing on Facebook that we put on LinkedIn. Adam? Yeah. One of the ideas that people often talk about, and I think you talk about in your book, uh, when, you, when you speak about reconstructing uh, an idea story in someone else's mind, is this idea that you have to find a way to plant an idea in someone's mind so that they perceive that they actually help create it. Yes. Do you subscribe to this and what, how do you do that? Uh, so I subscribe to, so I don't, I wouldn't agree with the language of plant an idea. 
Uh, Because to me, that starts to cross what I have set up for myself as a bright line about what I'm willing to do on behalf of any company that I'm working with or for, which is I don't believe in manipulating people to a conclusion. I believe believe in leading them there. (laughs) I know. I have a whole story about that. When I first worked at uh, uh, the Boston Conservatory here in Boston, and when I first arrive there, they like to say that they had this interdisciplinary education between their three, um, their three divisions. It was music, dance, and musical theater. And interdisciplinary implies, I think pretty clearly that these are like meshed curricula and all of that. And it was not, I mean, it full stop was not. So one of the first things that it was like, you can use multidisciplinary uh, you are under my watch. We are not saying interdisciplinary until we actually change the strategy. Um, the messaging ethics here on social pros. I know, but see, you know, I think if you're, you have to make those decisions for yourself when you're a marketer, but when it comes to how do you, what I, what I would agree with Adam is to say that it's important to create the conditions for someone to reach their own conclusions about the idea. And while you can't, I don't believe you can truly plant an idea long-term emphasis on long-term in someone's mind that where the, where there isn't friendly soil for it to plant, um, you know, people will try on ideas here and there, but long-term we will not act as humans in a way that's inconsistent with how we see ourselves or the world. Mm -hmm. So what we can do in little pieces and parts, you know, with, you know, either in, in whole content or in, in these, you know, kind of assembled mosaic of content over time is create the conditions for that. Um, and that means really going back to Jay's question about understanding your audience, you can't do that unless you have a really solid understanding of who you're talking to and how they see the world. Because, you know, it isn't just creating a story that they would tell themselves. It isn't just that. It's about building their case for your product service and brand, not yours. You know, already know how to do that. Like we're, we're super at that. Um, but we build our cases for our products and brands from the presumption that we're already right. And the vast majority of people who don't know us or haven't been convinced yet, they're coming at it from a really dis- different perspective. And what, when you start to build the case for your brand or your idea or your product or service from the presumption of what if we're wrong, you often find really, really different things about how you can make the case for what you're talking about that's very different. Um, but that's what I'm most comfortable with is, is being able to activate and place within what somebody wants, what somebody already believes, uh, really doing the work to figure out how does our product or service or brand fit within their current worldview, not how do we switch their worldview over to ours. I want to give you a scenario, Tamsin, which is that a number of our listeners have to pitch ideas about what to do in social to an owner, uh, a manager, a director, a CMO, et cetera. And two of the things that you mention in the book, Find Your Red Thread, are the premise of of creating a 60-second case for your idea and also having a minimum viable message. Yes. And if you could, I want you to imagine that that you are a social media manager, a social media director, uh, and you have to go to the CMO and say, hey, we're going to do this new surprise and delight campaign uh, on on Instagram, uh, and it's maybe outside of that CMO's comfort 
level existing. Uh, it's a little different. Like, how do you how do you take those two pieces, the sixty second case and the minimum viable message, to get approval and clarity around this premise? Okay. Well, you have to boil. You have to reduce down to them. That's the first thing that I want to point out. Is a lot of times people try to start with the idea or start with the snappy one line or the start with the start with the summation of the message. Um, and the analogy I draw in the book even is that that's kind of like trying to blow up a low res thumbnail. Um, that the data, you know, the, the the reason why a thumbnail doesn't you know doesn't look good when you try to blow it up to you know, print size uh, is because there's literally not enough data for it to survive at scale. Um, And the same thing can happen with your message. If you're like, hey, the reason why we should do Insta is because that's where all the kids are, like, or whatever, like you're, someone's going to ask a follow-up question and you're not going to have that. So it's really important to kind of start large and then boil down. So um, I would say that 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 kind of conversation needs to start with something as I said before, that that CMO already wants. So let's say that there is a particular initiative about in getting greater engagement from uh, a certain segment, you know, a certain a particular audience that they're looking for. So let's say it is like a particular demographic or something like that, and say, so hey, I know you want to engage this group more. Um, and when we're looking at Instagram, it can be tempted to think that you know this is all about pretty pictures and not about kind of substantive understanding of how we could do something different. And yet, the most successful posts on Instagram are those that have a pretty engaged comment and post underneath it. So that's what we want to do. We want to use the surprise and delight campaign to be able to kind of use the sparkle and use the delight to actually create a bridge into our deeper content. Would you be open to that? That's the kind of format that I'm talking about there. I think that probably came in under a minute, but that, you know, it, and then you'd be able to sum that up by saying, you know, you'd start, ideally you'd start that conversation with, Now, we want to talk to you today about a surprise and delight campaign on Instagram that because it gives us a really powerful way to get both immediate and deeper engagement from the group that we're going after, why we want your support for this particular campaign. So it's really about starting with that minimum viable message. How does this get something that you want? So how does this get this engagement with this market via a means you don't expect? you know, oh, deep engagement from a platform that you don't expect it from. And then being able to follow up with that 60-second storyline, that 60-second case to be able to explain it and summarize it. Usually from there, you know, they've gotten all the information to know whether or not they want to they want to know more. Like that's, you know, so it's very useful in sales conversations as well. Because if you talk to somebody and they're like, yeah, I'm not, that's not what I'm looking for. Then you're like, oh, okay. Then let's go back and find some other way to do it. <laughs> I like that idea of the minimum viable message. Uh, And my question to that point is, when you're creating that story, when you're creating that idea, do you start with the hook in terms of creating it or do you start with the closer? So there's, so there's two, there's two approaches. They work equally well. Uh, one is, um, what, you know, the case of what Jay presented me with is uh, we have an answer. So I like to think of an idea as an answer. It's an answer to a question. So they already knew they want to do a surprise and delight campaign on Instagram. So that's the, that's the answer. And in that case, what you're doing is you're going back and trying to figure out, well, what question does my CMO have for which a surprise and delight campaign on Instagram is an answer. Um, and that's where you're tying it into what that CMO already wants. 
Now, sometimes you, you know that there's a question. Let's say you know that your audience is experiencing, you know, X problem. They're trying to achieve, you know, higher conversion rates on their, you know, on their posts. Um, and maybe you don't have an answer yet. You're using that to say, well, what could we develop? What content could we put out there? What new service could we put into place? And in that case, you're really starting with the quote unquote hook of their question. And then you're building to see, well, what answer does that lead us to? Um, and both are very useful. Uh, the second one is really good if you're trying to do idea development, research and development, coming up with a new direction to take your stuff. Um, a lot of times, though, you know, the general general messaging and content development almost always is like, we've got the answer. <laughs> a lot of times content stops there. Um, and it's about going back and finding the question and still not stopping there. It's about finding that connection between the question and the answer. And that's what, obviously, I refer to as the red thread. In your work, Tamsin, do you find that the original sin most often is that people make their ideas too complicated or not complicated enough? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I have to say it's probably a 50-50 split. Um, and, and, and Jay, I have to give you full credit because I know for much of my career, and I probably haven't fully solved it yet either, I was way too complicated for what I'm trying to, you know, what I was trying to say. Um, I would say there's an equal number of people that really try to start from the thumbnail. Like, you know, the people who are too complicated with their idea, uh, and that's the vast majority of people who I work with one-on-one. -on -one. I do a lot of work with experts and, and uh, founders, academics. Um, and, you know, the, the analogy I use for them is that, you know, they're, they essentially try when, you know, introducing someone to their idea, they're essentially giving like the turn-by-turn GPS navigation directions to a local. Like you're basically like, go up to this, you know, go two stops, see a tree, the tree's got a mark on it, go left. And then, and then, and then, you know, you'll get there. And the audience doesn't even know what country you're in. Like that's what can happen when it's too complicated. But I would say it's an equal amount of times that people are on the other side where they're trying to blow up a thumbnail of an idea and it just doesn't work. And so, um, is it possible to, to streamline a very complicated idea? Absolutely. It's about taking the turn by turn and taking it back to what's the root overview. It seems like that would be easier than the other way around because at least you have the raw materials to go from. If you don't actually, <laughs> if there's no there there, there's only so much you can do. Yes, this is why I like to work with experts. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah they actually have expertise. <laughs> they actually they have, have expertise. It's in the name. Yes, exactly. Um, going the other direction can can be hard, and it, and uh, I do believe it's always possible. Uh, that's a that's a promise I make. It's a it's a it is a kind of an unstated tenet that's in the book that that part of doing this work is always starting from the presumption that the idea is there, that there is a, there is a deep and valuable idea there. Um, that's the standard I hold myself to when I'm working with folks. Um, and it always is there. It really is. If like you, if you assume that the, there's a deep idea there, a good idea there, an idea that's got legs that, that can serve, that can support a multi month campaign, an idea that can support a multi-month uh, sales cycle in B2B, for instance, um, then you will do the work to find it, especially if you've got outcomes for your business that are tied to it. Um, and the Red Thread's really designed to help answer the questions that are the ones that usually go unasked when it's too simple. Because typically an answer that's too simple, you know, an idea or a message that's too simple is just the answer. Do X. Okay. Why? 
And they don't, they don't know why. And then you're like, okay, well, step one, like figure out why someone like, and not just because it has these benefits, but what question is it answering? And which is a, which is a frame I prefer to what problem does it solve? Um, because what problem does it solve gets us, we get, you know, <laughs> we get really, uh, how should I say? We can get very patronizing to our audiences when we're like, well, I know you have this problem, but you don't yet. And one of the things that I say often to my clients is like, you have to solve the problem they think they have before you can solve the problem you know they have. And you don't get to go further until that's happened. So yeah, you're right. It can be harder if it starts too simple, but I would say it, it really is equal based on like who comes to me, at least I'd say it's equal. The book is Find Your Red Thread, the author Tamsin Webster. Tamsin, you're talking about complexity and whether the idea is simple or, or complex and the pros and cons for, for both. You know, in social, you look at the evolution of social media and we started very simple with, 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 with Twitter you know, and, 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 yep. and, and 144 characters and how it's evolved now to be, have include vi video and audio and, and, and imagery. What would your recommendations be to social pros out there in terms of how they create and construct their social ideas? Should they, with production values, keep it simple or, or is, is video and, and audio and, and imagery really important to telling that story? So there's an intersection there, I think, that needs to happen. It comes back to understanding who your audience is. Uh, and I think it, it you know, the, the brand marketer in me, you know, 20 years would say it. And it also means, means understanding who you are and what your brand is and what makes sense for you. Um, and I think that intersection is important. I think it's very difficult to make those decisions if you don't have clarity about either side, if you don't really have clarity about who are we as an organization? What is our style? You know, are we, um, you know, are we a, a, essentially a graphics only place? You know, are we a place that, that, you know, are we a brand? Are we a company where the, frankly, the intimacy of video is, is useful to us? Um, if it is, are we folks that are, uh, where high production is relevant to us or, you know, or is it something where it's like scrappy and on the, you know, person on the street is the right thing. And it matters who you're talking to and what they respond to. Um, and understanding that sometimes what you love is not for them and vice versa. I mean, I, you know, I, I know given who I tend to work with, for instance, that, you know, Instagram is not my best spot. Um, you know, I, do I spend some time there? Yeah. Do I spend most of my time there? No. Um, because that's not where my people are. My people are, you know, kind of trying to answer their questions on YouTube. They're trying to answer their question. You know, they're, they're the academics and the founders that are sitting on Twitter. And I also know that I am way too much of an introvert to like, ex like have pictures of myself all over Instagram. So I think it really is about finding that intersection. It's really about having brand clarity, an audience clarity, and understanding what the intersection is between the two. Tamsin, think about your own use of social media and, and social media storytelling in terms of how you've developed your own thought leadership and even launched this book, uh, Find Your Red Thread. How have you sort of taken your own medicine, so to speak, and, and, and maybe changed what you've done in social? And, and what lessons would you pull out of that uh, for our listeners? 
Well, I'd say that last thing that I said was actually a per- like that was that's a lesson I learned the hard way of, of you know, uh, particularly when I first started my business of like everyone was like, you should be an Instagram and you should be doing this. And I'm like, part of me was like, I don't like it. Like, I don't I mean, I enjoy like looking at other people's stuff, but I was like, in- Instagram is not for introverts. And so part of it that came from that. Um, some other things that I would say were really uh, part and parcel. Um this goes against what a lot of people say, but when I was doing, you know, whenever I do do my own engagement in social and my newsletter and whatever, I put out the kinds of things that I would want to see myself. And I know sometimes people are like, don't do that. That's not what you want. But I'm like, yeah, but actually I really want people who are kind of curious about this stuff. You know, so some folks know that in addition to just general things, I mean, my most steady presence on social platforms is the publication of something I call my swipe file, which is you know generally two posts every week weekday about just some random crap <laughs> um, with the idea that it's actually going to be useful to something you could share with your own audiences or it helps kind of illustrate a point or something like that. And it was part of my own process for finding content and ideas anyway. And I got to a point where I'm like, well, I can't use all of these. I might as well share them with other people. Um, but it's, it is kind of parallel. So that's one of the lessons is sometimes you don't always have to be talking directly about your message. Sometimes your posting can be something that's parallel to what you're doing. So this white file is not generally directing about like, here's how to build a message. It's about like, here are the things from past epidemics that are showing up in today's life. And usually I'll be like, and that's a really interesting analogy that you could probably use when you're doing X, Y, or Z. Um, The last thing I would say is about my own social kind of adaptation is I really do think of it as my filling in the dots of an impressionist painting or George Seurat, since that's actually my favorite, but you know, is, is that, I have in my mind kind of this giant paint by numbers image of what I'm trying to get across and out there. And yes, I can articulate it in the red thread and I've got all of that. And I just kind of try to make sure that whenever I put something out there, that it fills in a, fills in a dot in that picture someplace. Um, sometimes that's, that's going to be a big piece of that picture where I'll be like, Hey, look at this whole big topic. And sometimes it's a little tiny piece of the picture. It's just like, here's this little shift in wording that I thought was really interesting. Like I ran across the day, ran across something the other day where someone was talking about the difference between the, um, a spotlight of attention and a lantern of attention. And that's like a little tiny thing. But when you're talking about intriguing, I know. And but when you're talking about and thinking about messaging, it's like it's consistent with how I think about things. It's consistent. It's a problem pair potentially based on the the structure of what I talk about in the book, um, and it's something that could be useful. And so, like I said, to me, I have this picture, and I'm just trying to make sure that everything always fits somewhere in the picture. But it's not it's not a reproduction of the whole picture every time. You see what I'm saying with that? And I think yeah, sometimes that's what, the mistake that we make and why why generating content day-to-day can be so hard, particularly if you haven't built the bridge from a brand positioning statement, yeah. like through messaging to this, is that it ends up feeling like you're just putting up like, well, here's the same picture, but in green. And here <laughs> and now it's in purple. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Just focus on different elements of the picture and just make sure it all fits in the picture and don't switch pictures. That's the most important thing. Like keep, keep steady to the overall narrative. Just understand that 
you know, if it's like when you look out a window, right? I'm, I'm staring out my window and looking out at downtown Boston right now. That generally, that view doesn't change, right? It changes slowly over time. And that view in my mind is like your brand. It is like that overarching message that you're trying to put out there. And it shouldn't change over time. I mean, over time, eventually a building will go up here or go up there. Just like a little shift will happen in your brand. But when you're thinking about what to do with your content day to day, there are so many different ways to look at that picture. You can focus on the colors and and that picture, right? Which could be talking about like the, you know, you can focus on the people that you see, which could be like the people in your organization. You can focus on what did it look like a hundred years ago? What does it look like now? So you can focus on the history of it. You can focus on the shapes and the colors. So the kind of elements of the brand and the values you can focus on like all the things that are all the squares in the image. Okay. Here are all these things that put, I mean, there's just so many different ways to look at the same picture of your brand that in my mind, there really is an almost infinite number of things you can talk about with your product, your product, your brand, or your service, as long as you have clarity on the picture. And that's really what I hope the red thread helps people do is get a much better understanding, not just of the brand and not just about the why, but why is it that your company does what it does the way that it does it? Because if you have that picture, you have everything you need to kind of sustain your messaging, your content, your posting almost infinitely. I mean, that's just what I found from my own experience. Tamsin, you gave me the segue for my last and final question talking about colors. Uh, I was reading just a few days ago that Pantone kind of, as they do every year, coming coming out with what they think the new color palettes for second half of 2021 and 22 uh, are looking like. And they said they're going to be more vibrant. They're going to be more cheerful because we're coming out of the pandemic. We're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And that leads me to my final question. Hmm. Are there types of stories? Is there a way that we tell stories that needs to or can change because of where we are? Is this sense of optimism? Maybe this new roaring 20s is manifesting itself as we record this in May of 2021. Any any advice or tips in, in terms of encapsulating kind of where we are as a humanity right now? Yes. Th- there really is something magic about going back to that question that people are asking right now. Because if you pay attention to that, that actually reflects their current status quo. Uh, I do a lot of work with companies, particularly around their sales messaging. A lot of those places are, are challenger sales messaging shops. Um, and you know, one of the things that challenger talks a lot about is adjusting your message to the status quo. Like how much does somebody already know, not know? What's their current position? What are they thinking about? And there is so much that is revealed about how somebody is thinking about something just in the questions that they're asking, because there's a big difference on, you know, like at, at the beginning of the pandemic, it's like, how do we adapt our business to, to survive in this new space is kind of the, the kind of the, and you hear in the tone of that is like, I'm trying to solve a problem. This is urgent. And the questions that I'm starting to hear and the questions that I'm starting to see out there are things like, how do we take what we've learned and apply it forward? What are the things that we want to take a go, you know, what do we want to keep? What do we want to let go? And these are the, the, the whole tone of that message is different. And so when you start from that position of what the audience is asking, you kind of automatically just kind of everything rolls out from there because they're showing you that question puts a pin in the map. It shows you where they are right now. 
And you already know where you are because, you know, the, the city or whatever, the, the point on the map that represents you, your product, your service, your brand, like that doesn't move much. Um, but when you, when you can really identify where they are, it completely changes the route that you're going to build between where they are and where you want them to be. Um, and so, you know, trust your audience to tell you the kinds of messages that they want. Um, it means that you have to kind of find that middle ground and, and focus not just on what you want to say, but on what they need to hear and what they're really looking for. Um, and yeah, that means, you know, doing some research and whatever, but I just, so much is captured in that starting point of a story. Um, you know, when someone's starting at a, at a negative, then you have an opportunity to show them where the hope is. And when they're showing, you know, when they're starting high, you can show them where the challenges are going to be. Um, but you also get to really fulfill an optimistic vision. And yeah, I'm hundred percent down with those bright colors. <laughs> I'm about to, as we talked about before we went on, we're about to move here downtown Boston and, and outfitting my office for the first time. And when I were figuring out, you know, my home office for the first time, because I've been at my dining room table and I was like, this rug that I am putting down has like every bright color in the universe on it. And that nice. makes me very happy. So, and I think other people are in that mood too. Tamson Webster is the author of Find Your Red Thread, Make Your Big Idea Irresistible. And who doesn't want that? We're all in the ideas economy here at Social Pros. Tamson has helped me personally a lot and lots of people that I know, love, and trust. You should go buy this book. You will be very, very glad that you did. Tamson, we're going to ask you the two questions that we ask everybody here on Social Pros going back all the way to January of 2012 is when we started this show. Out. Question number one, if you were trying to give some advice to somebody looking to become a social pro, what would you tell them? Uh, understand the connection between uh, the brand message and what your audience needs to hear. Build that connection. Build that bridge. Yeah, not just what you want to tell them, but what do they need to hear? Yeah, first. understand that. Yeah, exactly. That 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 content exists in the in between. There's what you put out, and then there's how it's received. And the more that you, as a social pro, can focus not on just sending it, but on receiving it, since that's actually the definition of communication. That's going to serve you so well. Pay attention to how is it going to be received? How is it going to actually be heard? And what can you do to make sure that you can raise the probability of success on the receiving end and you will be a better sender and creator of social from the very beginning? All right, Tamson. If you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be and why? I'm interested right. in who you're interested <laughs> So my heart says Diane von Furstenberg, but actually, uh, because I love her. Um, but I actually, you know, the person I would really love to sit down and talk with is Daniel Kahneman. The, nice. Yeah. I just like thinking fast. behavioral economist. Favorite, uh, yeah, exactly. So thinking, fast and, thinking slow. fast and slow, among other things. Yes. Yep. I think thinking fast and slow is required reading for anyone yeah. in marketing, communication or sales. Like it Agreed. is, and I would love to talk to him about that. The godfather of Freakonomics and related disciplines. We should get Daniel Kahneman on the podcast. I know. Oh, that would be great. I know we can make that happen. Yeah, you I feel can. pretty confident in that. Um, that's a great answer. And I think um, I'm checking the database. <laughs> I've checked the database and that is the first Daniel Kahneman answer in the long history of social posts to that question. Congratulations, Tamsin. Nice. Go me. You have unlocked <laughs> level seven. 
<laughs> We're level seven Thetan now. Um, congratulations. Uh, Tamsin, uh, congratulations sincerely on the book. It is a real triumph. I love it. Social Pros listeners, you're going to love it. Find your red thread. Uh, Tell them where you want them to get the book. Should they go to your website? Should they go to uh, Jeff Bezos' store? Should they (laughs) listen to it uh, through through their earbuds? What do you want? Well, they don't have an earbud option yet, though that is in the works. Uh, The best place to go, I'd say, is redthreadbook.com because then they can choose whether or not they want to support Jeff Bezos or one of their local independent bookstores where they can get it. Also, there's some offers that we've got there for uh, special goodies for as a thank you for ordering the book. And so I would send them there. I mean, since Tamsin's in Boston, maybe I'll get some chowda if you buy enough <laughs> book. Maybe that's where that's it. Yeah, you want a lobster roll. That's what you want. Yeah. Growlers and chowdas. <laughs> exactly. Growla. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, my friend. I really appreciate it. Great to see you. Congratulations uh, on the book. Uh, and please say hello to your fantastic uh, husband, Mr. Tom Webster, who's been a guest on the show previously. I will do so. Well. Thank you both so much for having me. Absolutely. I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He is Adam Brown from Salesforce. And this has been hopefully your favorite podcast in the whole world. Take your ideas, make them better, find your red thread. This has been Social Pros. Social Pros.